Well, Sam, God bless the Pennsylvania Funeral Directors Association. They did exactly as I asked. So in just two days, I got 125 responses from embalmers in one U.S. state. And it told me two things. It told me, first of all, embalmers, they want to tell you what they're seeing in the embalming room if they feel like they have the permission from their funeral home director. But it also told me something else, right? There were 29 other state funeral director associations I sent that email to. They must not have forwarded it down to their embalmers. They must have suppressed it, hit the delete key, and not forwarded it. So it tells me there's a huge suppression going on at the funeral director association level not to want to take the survey. There shouldn't be any reason not to want to take it. I'm only asking you, what did you see? When did you see it? And how much are you seeing? Doesn't dinner sound great as it's cooking? This dinner is from Riverbend Ranch, which always provides prime or high choice, has never been given hormones, never been given antibiotics, never been given mRNA vaccines. It's raised in the USA. It's processed in the USA. In fact, it's fully vertically integrated, which means that they own the cow that gives birth to the calf. It's raised on their fields and then taken to their butcher and then shipped to you. And if we compare what we can buy from Riverbend Ranch to four other major state companies that sell bundles that have ribeyes and other meat in it, it can be as much as $184 to $59 less expensive. It's a great price value, and it's a delicious piece of meat. Check out mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. That's mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. Mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff. On this podcast, you will be encouraged to question everything. And to have the courage to stand for the truth. And now, to your host, Dr. Sigaloff. Well, thank you for joining me again. I want to first thank all my Patreon subscribers. We've got two tough at the $30 level. We've got the anonymous family donor at $20.20 a month. We have the pandemic reprimando at $17.76 with Ty, Charles, Tinfoil, Stan... Uh, Stanley, Dr. Anna, uh, Frank, Brian, Shell, Brantley, Gary, and Sharon. The $10 level with Kevin and Pat and Bev. The refined, not burned at $5 a month with Linda, Emmy, Joe, PJ, Rebecca, Marcus, Elizabeth, Dawn, Ken, Rick, Mary, and Amanda. Addison Mulder is giving $3 a month and Frank is giving $1.50 a month. We have The Courage is Contagious with Jay, Spessnasty, Durrell, Susan, B.B. King, and Caleb. Thank you so much for for helping me in my endeavors. Also, please be sure and check out mycleanbeef.com slash after hours for some of the best beef that I've ever had. My next guest is Tom Haviland. Retired Major Haviland has been here before, and he's talked about embalmers finding blood clots or these white fibrous clots. And he's done a survey before, and now he's done another survey. Uh, This is a worldwide survey that he's done. Tom, thank you so much for coming on with us. Dr. Sam, thanks for having me on the show again. Really appreciate you having me on. So let's jump into the information of what you've discovered. Okay, to refresh the memory of your audience, uh, we we talked about a year ago, and I had completed the first survey. It's based on me. I watched that movie, Died Suddenly, uh, Sam, and... To refresh the memory of your audience, it's about an hour-long documentary. People can still see it on Rumble. And about half that movie is devoted to these six or seven embalmers that saw these white fibrous clots in their corpses that they've never seen before. They've been embalming many years, and it's the first time they ever saw this phenomenon. And they said it kind of started in 2021, which was an interesting time period, because if you remember, there was a certain medical intervention that came out at the beginning of 2021 so the timing is kind of a suspicious. So I did a survey last year, and there were three main conclusions to that survey, Sam. Of the 179 embalmers that responded to that first survey, almost exactly two-thirds, 
66%, 119 of those embalmers said they were seeing uh, the white fibrous clots at, by the end of 2022. The main consensus of the embalmers were that the clots started for them in uh, the year 2021. There were a few embalmers, however, that did see them in 2020, which is interesting because that's the year that we had COVID, uh, but no medical interventions yet. Um, and the last, and maybe the most shocking conclusion of that first survey, Sam, is that many of these embalmers were finding these clots in up to 50% or more of their corpses. The average was about 30%, but some of the embalmers were seeing them in even a much higher percentage of their corpses. So it, they were telling me it's not a, uh, a rare event. It's a prevalent thing that was happening. So a full year went by. I've gone on lots of podcasts, including yours. And I decided at the end here of 2023, going into 2024, to survey the embalmers again to see what they were seeing uh, by the end of 2023. So we ran the survey again. Uh, I ran it from the 8th of December through the 8th of January. And have, if you got the, the uh, presentations on the screen, so do you want me to go ahead and step through the slides and show you the data yeah. that I collected? If you could, and, and okay. you know, since we're using Riverside, I don't know exactly how this is going to work out in the end. If you have to click something to show it, uh, this may just run at the same time. So I don't know if you have to click anything or not. Okay. I am just going to scroll down my scroll bars. I noticed that works, so I think. Okay. Can you see the next slide? Yes, sir. That's working well. Okay. Uh, the first question, by the way, in this year's survey is we always ask the embalmers, where are you from? Uh, they're a little skittish about identifying exactly where they're from so uh, and who they are. So we allow them to answer the survey anonymously, Sam. Um, we turned off the IP tracking feature in SurveyMonkey. And, but our first question was, for, in the U.S., for example, is what state are you from? Um, and we wanted to do that because if we got enough results, we were wanting to check for regionality to see if there might be something to what's called the bad batch theory. You know, if, with like maybe the Northwest United States had, was a hot spot for a lot of uh, findings of these clots as opposed to maybe the Southeast, you know. Unfortunately, we did not get enough responses, Sam, to really check what we call regionality. So, but it was still interesting to see where the responses were coming in from. So the second question we asked the embalmers this year was, well, how many years have you been an embalmer? And as you can see there, Quite a few of them have over 20 years of experience. And that's a good thing, right, Sam? Because they know what the blood looked like in the years prior to COVID. They know what it looked like in 2020, the year that we had COVID but no vaccines yet. And they also know what it looks like in 2021 to present in the years that we have both the COVID virus and the vaccine. So that's a good thing. That we have the average of about 15 years of experience. We then asked the... Uh, embalmers, how many corpses do you personally embalm per year? And if you take all those bars, average them together, you get about 100 corpses per year. And uh, that's also a good thing, right? So these they embalm bodies on a regular basis. One of the embalmers that I deal with uh, quite often is uh, Mr. Richard Hirschman from the Died Suddenly movie. He's a trade embalmer, Sam, and he actually uh, has contracts with about a dozen different funeral homes uh, in Alabama where he does his embalming. And he'll do uh, usually over 300 corpses per year. So he's very active. So, but the average there is about 100 corpses a year. So these embalmers, these active embalmers, they know what they're seeing. They know what a body is supposed to look like. So we asked them the same question that we asked them. Yeah. If you go back up, and, and you may answer this later in your presentation, but the, the part where it says, like some of them give 300, you have uh, 13 embalmers that do over 300 a year. Um, do you break it down? Were they more likely to see these fibrous clots? And you, you may answer this later. Uh, or were the ones who do less? Or was it just kind of an average? They Everyone sees the same number of clots. I did not go through and, and check to see uh, the, the ones that did heavier amounts of bodies seeing more clots. That's a good idea, though, because I think I have the data that will allow me to do that because I have the individual responses. So I could probably go back and track that, but I have not checked that yet. That's a, that's a, that's a good suggestion, Sam. My guess is they'll probably see the same percentages roughly, regardless of whether they embalm fewer bodies or more bodies. Unless maybe a, a more experienced embalmer who embalms more bodies may have a, a, a better technique. And I think sometimes it may come down to technique, right? 
and Ballmer, who's very thorough, would probably uh, have uh, find the clots more easily than somebody. Some embalmers are just called fluid pushers. They just try to try to get the fluid in, and they don't do as a, a, a thorough as job as others. Those those would probably be less likely to find the clots. But I I didn't want to insult the embalmers by asking, "Are you a fluid pusher? Or are you somebody who really takes your job seriously?" So <laughs> so we just left the question the way it was. Um, of course, the next question we asked, we wanted to know, uh, just, just like we did last year, have you uh, observed the white fibrous clot structures uh, that you embalmed in uh, 2023? And as you can see, there's pretty shocking results, Sam, of the 269 embalmers that responded to this year's survey. So we got 90 more re uh, responses to this year's survey. We went from 179 last year to 269 this year in terms of responses. As you can see, there's 73% of the embalmers, 197 out of the 269 this year, saw the white fibrous clots in 2023. So that's not a good thing. Another follow-up yeah. question I have for this particular slide is if you could also run those numbers, if it's something you want to do, to see if the people that were more likely to see the clots were the more experienced, more years in, in this particular field as compared to uh, the very few who had only been doing this for like two years, to see if there's a difference there. Yeah, that's a good idea as well. Thanks. So then obviously the next natural question is, well, in what percentage of your corpses are you seeing these white fibrous clots, right? So as you can see there on the slide, uh, the answer is 20%. If you take all the, the, the bars there, including the green bar, where 63 embalmers saw none, and you do a weighted average, you come up with an average of about 20% of the corpses uh, in 2023 contain these white fibrous clots. And that's down from 30% in our last year's survey in 2022. So that's a good trend. But you know what? That's not necess necessarily a vindication of the medical intervention that started in 2021. Because as you know, most Americans took their first two medical interventions, Dr. Sam, in 2021. About 80% of Americans, according to the CDC, took the medical intervention. But then only about 20% of American adults over the age of 18 took the bivalent Omicron booster for BA4 and BA5 that came out in the fall of 2022. And then uh, even less Americans, I think it was only 15% or less, took the latest uh, XBB 1.5 booster that came out last fall. So you might expect the, the uh, percentage of corpses with the white fibrous clots to go down the further and further away you get from people taking their last medical interventions. So, as you can see, you know, the note there on the slide is zero, zero, you know, Balmer saw these in zero percent of their corpses prior to uh, 20, 2020. Yeah. If you look to the left there, you can see 48 of the embalmers saw the white fibrous clots between 21 to 40 percent of their corpses. Um, 29 embalmers saw between 41 to 60 percent of the corpses. 11 embalmers saw these white fibrous clots between 61 to 80% of their corpses. It's just, it's amazing, right? It's shocking. <laughs> so, one of the uh, new phenomenon that the, yeah, go ahead. It, it makes you wonder if we're seeing, if their average is down this year from the previous year because there's less people who are being embalmed who have these clots because they were all embalmed the previous year, uh, or a majority but, of them were embalmed the previous year. That's true as well. That's a, that's a possibility. But like I said, the that, that number, though, one out of every five corpses still containing the class at the end of 2023, to me, is alarming. Like I said, especially since most people are, most, most Americans are a couple years away from their last medical intervention. So that tells me... Uh, in our first survey, we kind of deduced that it might be possible that the white fibrous clots may take anywhere from six months to 18 months to grow to a point where they cause a stroke or heart attack. And one of the reasons I say that is, is because most of the embalmers that I've talked to did not notice the white fibrous clots until the middle of 2021, May, June, July timeframe. Whereas we know that the medical intervention rolled out pretty much in January of that year. So if, and I say if the medical intervention is the cause of these white fibrous clots and embalmers didn't start seeing the clots showing up on their embalming table 
until uh, the middle of 2021. That indicates to me that it may take uh, six months at the earliest for these things to grow to a size where they stroke you out or give you a heart attack. But the fact that we're still seeing them two years later after people took their last medical interventions means that it may take them as long as maybe two years, you know, anywhere from like six to 18 to 24 months to build up to the point where they completely cut off circulation and uh, cause a stroke or heart attack. Speculation on my part, but the data seems to support that. So one of the other uh, issues the embalmers mentioned to me this year, Sam, was they saw a phenomenon called microclotting in their corpses. And they saw, they've been seeing this too since uh, the, uh, 2021. But they don't describe it as microclotting, Sam. They call it what looks like coffee grounds or dirty blood in the drainage coming off the corpse. As they're trying to put the formaldehyde in and take the uh, blood out of the corpse, they see what looks like coffee grounds or dirty blood. And look at the percentages there, Sam. Of the 269 embalmers that responded to the survey, 79% of them, 212 of the embalmers, are, saw this phenomenon in 2023. So that's shocking. Not good. Absolutely shocking. Especially Absolutely these people shocking. had these these people had these microclots before they died. Um, and can you imagine seeing this patient in the clinic and they're having signs of, let's say, a stroke or pain somewhere in their body and their D-dimer is elevated, which shows evidence of clots, but now we can't find a clot anywhere in their body because they have microclots too small to see. Right. And like, just like you say, this can be just as dangerous as the white fibrous clots because the microclotting occurs at a capillary level. You know, it can block the exchange of oxygen at the lungs and then the carrying of that oxygen to all your ma major organs of your body, including your, your brain, your eyes. So it, it could, and it's, like I said, it can be just as serious as the white fibrous clots. So then we asked him the next natural question was, well, in what percentage of your corpses are you seeing this microclotting phenomenon? And if you look at that note down there, embalmers have seen this in the past before there was even COVID microclotting, but it was very rare. I think one of the embalmers mentioned to me that he saw microclotting occasionally in uh, uh, corpses that people that had had heavy chemotherapy done to them. But as you can see, the average of those bars is 25% of the corpses in 2023 had this phenomenon. So it's at least a quintupling of what, what, what has been before in the terms of microclotting. If you look to the left again, you see 58 embalmers saw it between 21 to 40% of their corpses. Another 32 embalmers saw the microclotting between 41 to 60% of their corpses. 16 of the embalmers saw it between 61 to 80% of their corpses. So it's a, again, a serious thing. So. Uh, we asked last year the embalmers about grape jelly clots, and so we wanted to ask them the same question this year as well. And we asked what percentage of your corpses in 2023 contained the traditional grape jelly clots. Embalmers have been seeing grape jelly clots and what's called chicken fat clots forever. Uh, they're very common, and we embalmers, those are the two types of clots embalmers saw prior to COVID. The chicken fat clots, by the chicken fat clots, are uh, basically yellowish in color. They're much smaller and they tear very easily. So they're much different than these large white fibrous clots that are tough, elastic, and, and hard to break. So, But in terms of the grape jelly clots, as you can see there, the average this year in 2023 or this last year, uh, embalmers saw the, these type of clots in 40% of the corpses. So we asked them, well, what did you see uh, in terms of grape jelly clots prior to uh, 2019? And as you can see there, the average is about 30%. So it didn't go up a lot, but it's still significant, right? It went up from 30% of corpses prior to COVID to 40% of corpses now at the end of 2023. So now we have, there's three ways. That, like I said, we have white fibrous clots that they've never seen before that have happened, started, you know, in the last three years. They've got this microclotting phenomenon, which has quintupled since uh, the years before COVID. And now we have, grape jelly clots as well, going up from 30% on average to 40% of corpses. So in fact, uh, Richard Hirschman, the embalmer from Alabama, who was in the Died Suddenly film, tells me, hey, Tom, it used to be that I would see normal blood in people about 85% of the time and abnormal blood about 15% of the time. 
and my corpses before COVID came along. But since the years of COVID, and it's, it's been a flip. I'm seeing about 15% of my corpses have normal blood, and 85% of my corpses have abnormal blood. So it's, this is not a good situation, Sam. Yeah. Some of the embalmers also mentioned to me that they uh, saw an increase, unfortunately, in infant deaths. And that includes miscarriages, fetal demises, uh, stillborns, and even SIDS cases uh, in 2023 when compared to the years prior to the pandemic. So we asked the embalmers about that. I guess the good news is, Sam, that the, the no bars longer, thank goodness. Most of the embalmers did not notice an increase in the infant deaths, but there were about 21% who did. So then the next natural question that we asked them, and by the way, there might be an explanation for why that this is uh, answer is the way it is. A lot of the embalmers have told me that um, there seems to be a lot more cremations of infants these days than before. So if there is any evidence of any kind of clotting or any unusual problems with the infant, that evidence, of course, is being destroyed if you're doing a cremation. And uh, I've also been told by the embalmers that many of the hospitals are, are uh, asking the parents now, uh, would you like us to dispose of the remains of the child? And so we'll take care of that for you. And a lot of parents are opting to do that. So, of course, embalmers won't see those cases if the, if the hospital is disposing of the remains. But for the embalmers that are seeing this phenomenon, we asked, well, what percentage increase have you seen in infant deaths compared to the years prior to COVID? And as you can see there, uh, for those that saw it, it was an increase of 25%. If you take all the, if you do not include the blue bar, the long blue bar of 159, but if you start with the yellow bar and average those down, then you you see you get a 25% increase in infant deaths in 2023 compared to the pre-COVID years, only for those embalmers that saw an increase. So again, not a good thing. The last question we had, yeah, go ahead. Do you study children? So not infants, not uh, preterm, nothing like that, but just um, you know from age two to eighteen. Well, that's a good question. You actually lead me right into the next segue. We also did not get a chance last year to ask the embalmers about age stratification. So we put a question on there this year, and this is this question we asked them, hey, did you observe an increase in the number of clots of any type, whether it's grape jelly, white fibrous, or um, the microclotting, in the year 2023 compared to the years 2019 and prior? And we asked the embalmers to check all the age groups that apply here on this question so they could they could select multiple answers here. And as you can see, um, the longest bars are at the older age groups. And that's not too surprising, right? You would expect somebody in the 66 to 80-year-old group, for example, as plaque and cholesterol start to build up, start to have problems. But Sam, I am kind of disturbed at that 36 to 50-year-old bar. You see that 89 of the embalmers saw an increase in clotting for that particular age group. And what's interesting about that, Sam, is it dovetails very closely with a lot of the death and disability uh, insurance data that Edward Dowd's collecting. He saw an explosion starting in 2021 of death and disability in the 36 to 50-year-old age group. So the data that I'm collecting from the embalmer seems to dovetail, dovetail very closely with that uh, information collected by Edward Dowd. So, so that was pretty much it for the uh, presentation there. So, I'll... it's shocking because you know it's it's so easy to distance yourself when we say things like corpse or we say bodies or we, but this is someone's loved one, and yeah, it's when when you start putting it in human terms like that, like we look at the numbers and we look at them objectively because we have to because it's it's too painful to look at them any other way, but when you start putting a human face on that, it's like. What the hell has happened? Yeah. And you know what, Sam? It's causing great psychological damage to the embalmers as well because they're seeing something horrific happening in their embalming room. And many of them, Sam, feel afraid to speak out about it. They don't want to get their funeral home in trouble. They don't want to lose their job. They see a lot of doctors uh, that are standing up, like yourself, who speak out against the medical intervention in any way. And They'll get their licenses pulled or board certifications taken away from them. So they're scared. They don't want to talk. 
And here's, by the way, this is what they're seeing. This is a, an example of the clots. This was given to me by uh, Mr. Richard Hirschman from the Died Suddenly movie. He pulled this out of one person. So th this is an example of the white fibrous clots that he's finding on, in about 50% of his corpses. Richard's seeing them in about 50% of his corpses. Even though I said the average is about 20% now, Richard's still seeing them in about 50% of his corpses. So it's not a good situation. And what's, What's interesting about what I just said about the embalmers, uh, you know, suffering some psychological damage is I, I actually got some data, data that when I did this last survey that shows a, there's a little bit of a scandal going on, Sam. Um, like I said, this latest survey I ran from the 8th of December until the 8th of January. So I finished it up just about a month ago. And we use SurveyMonkey as a tool. And what I did is I sent, just like I did last year, I sent the survey uh, out using a two-pronged approach. I sent it to in a, in a top-down approach to 50 uh, national, regional, and state funeral director associations all around the world, each of those with hundreds of members under them, right, funeral directors and embalmers. And I asked those associations to pass the email with the link to the survey. You know, it's, they were easy. You know, it was just you click on the survey. You saw the 12 questions there. You know, we just asked the embalmers, what, what did you see? Uh, when did you see it and how much did you see, right? Basically, non-controversial questions. But I also used a bottom-up approach. I also found out the email addresses for over 1,700 funeral homes around the world, and I sent the, the survey directly to them as well, just in case the funeral director associations were not cooperative, right? I wanted to use a two-prong approach. Well, after I sent out the survey to the world on the 8th of December, I checked my Survey Monkey collectors about five days later on the 13th of December. I only had about 14 responses so far. I said, oh, no, this is terrible. I, I need to get more responses. So I, had a, I have a list of the 30 U.S. state funeral director associations that I sent the survey to. I picked the top 30 U.S. states by population and sent them the survey. So I called each of their organizations. I talked to either their president or a secretary or somebody else in their office. And I said, hey, could you send out that? survey to your embalmers that I sent you a week ago. Well, Sam, God bless the Pennsylvania Funeral Directors Association. They did exactly as I asked. And I know that because the very next day, I got up and checked my survey monkey collectors. And I had 93 responses, and they were all from one state, Pennsylvania. I then got up the next day, and I had 32 more responses from embalmers, and they were all from one state, Pennsylvania. So in just two days, I got 125 responses from embalmers in one U.S. state. And it told me two things. It told me, first of all, embalmers, they want to tell you what they're seeing in the embalming room if, if they feel like they have the permission from their funeral home director or their state funeral director association. But it also told me something else, right? There were 29 other state funeral director associations I sent that email to they must not have forwarded it down to their embalmers. They must have suppressed it, hit the delete key, and not forwarded it. So it tells me there's a huge suppression going on at the funeral director association level or at the funeral director level not to want to take the survey. And like I said, there shouldn't be any reason not to want to take it. I'm only asking you, what did you see? When did you see it? And how much are you seeing? At no point in either the first survey I ran nor the survey I, that I just completed, did I ever mention the words COVID or COVID vaccine anywhere in the instructions or in the survey questions themselves? So, wow, and man, that is that's shocking. It makes me wonder: Are some of these um, these organizations are they thinking? Oh, is this some conspiracy theory? Even though you don't actually say COVID or COVID shot, um, are they concerned that they could be contributing to cons some conspiracy, or is there a deeper reason that they're not doing that? And they're being told to you not know, speak about it. Well, here's many of these. In fact, most of these funeral director association presidents are funeral directors themselves. You know, they usually elect one of their own as the president of their association. If you were a funeral director and you had mandated that all your employees, including your embalmer, take the medical intervention, would you want to participate in a survey that might show that the medical intervention is linked to these white fibrous clots and these microclotting and these other issues? You might be setting yourself up for a lawsuit, especially if one of your employees got injured by the medical intervention, right? Also, as I said earlier, uh, about 80% of Americans took the medical intervention back in 2021, according to the CDC. 
So there might be a little personal cognitive dissonance going on with the funeral directors themselves. They may not want to know the answer to the survey if they've taken the medical intervention themselves. Just a couple of things I'm thinking about. Now, and what's interesting is I did get a couple of uh, responses. I got a response, for example, from the executive director of the British Columbia Funeral Directors Association and saying they were not going to participate in the survey. Well, he made the decision for the entire province of British Columbia, Canada, that they were not going to participate in the survey. You know, wow. I also sent a, uh, I got an email response back from the National um, uh, Association of Funeral Directors of the UK, of United Kingdom. I sent the survey to about six organizations in the UK. London had their own funeral director association. Uh, there was another one called the British Institute of Embalmers. And, but then they also have this national organization of uh, funeral directors as well. They sent back an email saying, we're not going to participate in the survey. We'll let the British Institute of Embalmers answer for us. I had already sent an email to the British Institute of Embalmers. What would be the harm in the National Association of Funeral Directors, their main organization in the UK, with hundreds of members, what would be the harm in sending out my survey to them and you know, asking their embalmers to take it? You know, it's, it's just amazing. Well, yeah, it's, it's the same cognitive dissidence that I'm seeing amongst physicians who, who can't, their brain won't allow them to see that they, they took it, they told others to take it, and that they could be responsible for harming themselves, their family, and their patients. Yeah. In a recent video I did with Dr. John Campbell of the UK, one of the questions he asked me is, well, how come if this is happening so much and these white fibrous clots and this microclotting might be in so many people, according to what the embalmers are finding, why isn't it showing up in doctor's offices and stuff when they're when people are going in for checkups? I think maybe people are coming into the, to the doctor's office with conditions, based on, but then they're being misdiagnosed or they're being steered away from the medical intervention as the possible reason. What do you think? Just, pers just personally, I've seen some patients with a D-dimer levels incredibly high. So D-dimer is is a product that happens when you have clotting and breaking of clots, incredibly high. And you know, we do a, a CT uh, of their chest to look at uh, pulmonary embolism, which is what you would typically see, or we do uh, an ultrasound of their legs to look for a clot, and we don't find anything. We don't see anything. Yeah. You know, some people ask me to say, hey, if, if, if such, so much excess mortality is going on, if this is such a disastrous thing, how come I'm not seeing it in my personal life? And you know, we in the United States, we've seen excess mortality of 10% in the last three years, ever since the medical interventions have come out. Surprisingly, by the way, countries in Africa, for example, with very little uptake on the medical intervention are having no problems at all with excess mortality. You know, they have like 10, 15% of uptake. So that should tell you something. But I tell people, you know, 10% uh, excess mortality is probably pretty subtle at the individual individual level because it means that, you know, well, at, at, the, at, the, at the large level, like I said, 10 per, we have a country of 300 million people and about 3 million of us died every year before, the, uh, before COVID even came along. So 10% excess mortality over the last three years means 10% of 3 million people dying which is 300,000 extra people dying a year in, the, in America. And that's a whopping number, right? But if you look at it from the individual level, 10% excess mortality to you and me and people around us means that, hey, instead of seeing 10 people die this year, I saw 11 people die this year. That's 10% excess mortality. So you can see on, a, on an individual level, are you really going to notice well, 11 people dying this year versus 10 dying last year? Probably not, right? But when you take that and you aggregate it up to mass populations, then it becomes 300,000 extra Americans dying every year. That's what's going on here. People don't see it at the it's subtle at the individual level, but it's massive at the large population level. Yeah, and then that's where you, it, as a, let's say an employer, you have a tough time finding someone to work for you. Well, there's other reasons that they're not working, but if there's if the pool of people to draw from is even smaller because it, there's not as many people in that that pool. Yeah, it's harder to find, especially if they were skilled labor that worked in a particular yeah. sector that required this intervention. Now, uh, last year when we when we talked, you know, I was talking a lot about the uh, the mRNA as as the culprit. You were fairly convinced uh, as well, though, that the lipid nanoparticles are uh, very very dangerous as well. 
Is your, do you still have that theory and have you changed it at all? Um, because I, I, I agree with you. I think it's both. Yeah, I think the mRNA is, I, I've come to believe that it's, it's probably half, maybe up to half. Before, I used to think it was less than half. Um, but even that is being pretty generous. I think half or more is the, the lipid nanoparticle. And, wow. and the reason I think it's so, so bad is because in the Pfizer documents that had redaction codes in them, had redactions in them, the redaction code that was often used was Bravo 4, which means that if this information were expressed or shown, then that would inhibit the application of a state-of-the-art U.S. weapons system. And so right there, that tells me that that is the most dangerous part. Well, that's, yeah, and like, and from, you know, talking to jo Dr. John Campbell, of course, we know that those lipid nanoparticles, they go everywhere. I saw the uh, lectures that was given by the late uh, Arne Burkhardt. I'm sure you've probably seen that as well, where he showed pathological slides of the spike protein from the me medical intervention found in the spleen, in the liver, in the heart, in the brain testicles, ovaries, just everywhere. He even made a, he made a kind of a shocking comment during that lecture that he said, if I were a young fertile woman, I would not marry a man who had taken the medical intervention if I wanted children. <laughs> so it was shocking what he said. That is shocking. And, and I hope that that doesn't play out. Um, but I m may have seen something that seems like that might be true clinically. And I pray that wow. that's not the situation um, but yeah, it Sam, one of the things real. that motivated me to do this, uh, these two surveys is I have family members who've taken the medical intervention and I want to know just how much they are in danger. No, including my children. I have children that are uh, in their late teens, uh, young twenties. And I, I, you know, I like to have grandchildren someday. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to see them, uh, suffer for what, what they've done. They felt like they had to take it. They were going to the university and the university was requiring it. And rather than try to do a religious exemption to fight it, they said, Dad, I don't want to fight it. And, you know, you know how kids are. They just think they can conquer the world. You know, it's, nothing can hurt me. So they did the, they went the easy route and they took it not to, not to get into a confrontation with their university. And I, I'm worried sick that there's something, you know, something that's going to happen to them. Now, we have seen uh, Max Schmeling put out last year the, the whole Denmark study of the bad batch theory. I don't, you've probably seen the chart with the, the blue, the green, and the yellow line, where the blue batches were, uh, I think there was only about, they comprised about 5% of the total batches, but they were responsible for about 80% of the severe adverse events. And then there was a green line, which were uh, batches that were responsible for a, a moderate amount of, 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 of severe events. And then there was almost a flat line that almost looked like it was placebo because they were batches that had almost zero uh, side effects associated with them. Now, Max said uh, in a later video that he actually didn't have all that information processed by that time. And that, that line is actually elevated slightly off the, off the uh, flat. So those, even those yellow batches did create some uh, adverse events as well, but it's uh, but much, much less than the blue batches. So that tells me that it was sloppiness in the way these things were manufactured, or there's something about the way either in the distribution of them, the transportation, the storage. Remember, they were supposed to be stored at very cold temperatures. Something along the way broke down, right, and caused an inconsistency in the uh, in the product. Yeah, and and for your family, for other people out there that have family, or even themselves out there listening, uh, try and go to FLCCC, their website. And, and search for a provider near you to see if they can help you uh, work through these these injuries that you've sustained from the COVID vaccine if you've received an injury from it. And even if you haven't, it might be worth doing some of the supplements that they suggest to help get rid of the spike protein and, and potentially get rid of some of the lipid nanoparticle. Um, unfortunately, there's not we don't know enough about this this field because we don't know what the long term outcome is going to be. I know it's. And that's why at the end of all my presentations, I call for a moratorium on this technology. I think the whole mRNA, lipid nanoparticle delivery system technology, uh, we need to have a moratorium on it until we do know more about it. Because as you know, Sam, Big Pharma plans on unleashing a whole bunch of shots 
next year using this mRNA lipid nanoparticle technology. They've got it slated for the flu shot, uh, the shingle shot, the RSV shot. Moderna's got 40 of these in the pipeline right now to unleash on the world in the next few years. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're talking about shots that are going not into just hundreds of millions of arms, but actually billions of arms. So, you know, five, five and a half billion with a B people on this planet have taken at least one of these uh, medical interventions. So this is, uh, it's not a good thing. And I think we need to say, whoa, let's, let's stop, you know, and take a look. And what's unfortunate, Sam, is last year when I had the USA portion of my survey done on the, on the results last year, I sent them to the FDA. They had a meeting of their vaccine and related biological products advisory committee on the 26th of January of last year. I actually asked to speak at that meeting. They had an hour set aside for oral presentations, and they gave 20 speakers three minutes apiece to speak. I uh, I applied, but there was a lottery, and so there were too many speakers, and I wasn't selected. But I did submit my information in written format, and then I got a tracking number, but they never contacted me, Sam, throughout the entire year. You know, I just... Wow. It's just a shame the silence we've gotten from the CDC and the FDA. The advice I would give to everyone listening to this is, yeah, you may distrust the 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 COVID shot itself, and, and you may not have lost trust in all of medicine because you're an optimist, and you may not have lost trust in, let's say, the shingle shot, the flu vaccine, all these. But I would just say, think about this for a moment. How many people got in the line to get the flu shot and ended up getting the COVID shot? How many changes are we seeing in, like, I know the Shingrix, for instance, has a lipid nanoparticle in it. Um, consider if if the government won't put a moratorium on it, enact one for yourself and for your children and tell them this is not something to do. You can always go back and get this, but you can't ever take it out. That's exactly what I tell my friends and family as well. You are the last line of defense, the citizen. Just because it's being pushed by the CDC, the FDA, and Big Pharma, and big media, the TV, you know, that doesn't mean you have to take it. <laughs> and I advise my family and friends not to. I think that's that's good advice. I haven't had a flu shot in probably four years now. And I never had the flu since then. That's interesting. <laughs> well, it's, it's made us lose trust in the whole system because we realized how sloppy the testing was. And the testing, the results they did give us and they tried to hide from us are not the results don't look good, do they? So they, they tried to hide a lot of data from us that uh, that showed some some fairly shocking uh, adverse events. And you know we see what it looks like in VARES, which we know is way underreported. All the the uh, damaging side effects in VARES. So we, we think that's uh, maybe underreported by a factor of twenty six. So you know it's yeah it's staggering. The, the, it, some of the estimates are, are out there by Dennis Rancourt. And, and, and others that maybe as many as 17 million people around the planet are, have died over the last three years since the medical inter intervention came out. And and, you caused know, by the medical intervention. There are some people that say that VAERS is controversial, which I don't believe it is. I believe it's underreporting. But the DMED data, the Defense Military Epidemiology Database, you know, I helped blow the whistle mm -hmm. on that. And then Ted Macy helped blow the whistle on that years later after they allegedly had a glitch and fixed the system, and it's still horrendous. Then the increase in damage and destruction done to the military troops in a closed system, and it it is a very accurate number, even after they fixed a glitch, a quoted glitch, and the numbers are still awful. Yeah, God bless you and Therese Long and Pete Chambers and Tom Renz for bringing that to the attention of uh, Senator Johnson way back at the Defeat the Mandates uh, back in January of 2022. That was stellar work by you folks. And it just shows, like I say, that our military has really been decimated. And, and you, you know, you're talking about the, some of the fittest people, right? The pilots uh, in the Air Force, the Navy SEALs, the Green Beret. These, these are the cream of the crop of our services. And they're the ones that are usually most concerned about what's going in their body. They're very particular about what they eat and about, about how they train. They're super athletes. And those are some of the ones that have sustained some of the worst damage. You know, we have, I know, you know, a lot of pilots have been grounded and had their careers destroyed. And it's, it's such a sad thing because, they, you know, not just their health, but the, you know, the Air Force poured and, and the military poured millions and millions of dollars into the training of these people. And then they wind up grounded and they can no longer fly and do, and do the things they wanted to do. 
Well, Tom, is there anything else you want to add in? This has been this has been a heavy episode, and it's it's weighing on me. I'm not too talkative today, and I apologize yeah. for that. No, I, and, and you know, Sam, I understand because I know it's hitting close to home for you because you and I have a love for these military men and women. You know, they went into the service with a good heart, wanting to serve their country. The last thing they wanted to do is be, is sign up to be a guinea pig for a mandated shot from a tyrant that uh, you know was it was unethical in the first place. So, and then they were lied to. We were told something was safe and effective when it was not. And it's just been a disaster. And um, I'm trying to get the word out to, about just, just this one side effect of these white fibers clots. Remember, there's also other side effects going on. Turbo cancers, miscarriages, uh, neurological damage, you know, myocarditis. It's just it's a never-ending uh, sea of, of, of death and destruction. It's unfortunate. It is. Do you know anybody who's done any, or if anybody has done any analysis of those white fibrous clots to see what they could be made out of? Yeah, Richard Hirschman, he has collected dozens of vials, just like the one I showed the audience, and he has sent those to laboratories all over the world for analysis. Um, um, Mike Adams, the health ranger, did an analysis very early on uh, showing the chemical composition of the clots. And, you know, it, not surprisingly, very little uh, iron, magnesium, or uh, potassium was found in them, which are in high amounts in blood. So he's, we know it's not blood coagulating, or else you know it would look red. But uh, but you know they did find some other things that were in high amounts, which was kind of weird, like tin. They found, uh, 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 and I think they found high amounts of phosphorus, if I'm not mistaken, and some other metals in there as well. So that's unusual, right? Uh, Dr. Ryan Cole. Uh, Richard sent uh, samples of the clots to him as well. He's looked at. He's the famous pathologist from Idaho, Dr. Ryan Cole. He's looked at them under a microscope, and uh, he's determined that they're uh, looks like they're made of um, fi fibrin. You know, our, our bodies have fibrinogen, and it, it then it's in a liquid state, and then it converts into fibrin when uh, there's damage done to the interior of the blood vessels, and and it's white. Fibrin's white. And then platelets are found in there as well. Platelets are colorless. And then this amyloid, A-M-Y-L-O-I-D, or amyloid-like material. And there's some theories about how that's being formed, Sam. Uh, one of the ones is a paper came out in Cambridge a few months ago talking about a process called frame shifting. I don't know if you read that paper or not. Basically, frame shifting is a situation where the, the modified RNA from the uh, medical intervention uh, is being misread about 10% of the time by our ribosomes and our cells. And once the lipid nanoparticle brings the mRNA like a Trojan horse inside your cell, and, and then that mRNA start modified RNA starts to take over the machinery of your cell, we think that the pseudouridine that's on the uh, modified RNA code is uh, causing a skipping of the ribosomes reading the RNA strand as, as it's uh, reading the strand to produce proteins. And it, about 90% of the time, we think it's, it, according to this paper, this Cambridge paper, that it's producing the correct spike protein, which is not good in and of itself <laughs> because right. the spike protein's got problems. But about 10% of the time, it's producing what's called aberrant or nonsense proteins that could be of any length. And we think wow. that that may be contributing to this white amyloid-like material that's building up. Just one of the theories that's out there. So... Wow. Scientists are still looking at it all around the world. They're perplexed and they want to know how this stuff is forming. And by the way, you know, the embalmers are insistent that it's forming pre-death. They say that it can be formed after death as well, they believe. But the reason they say it's forming pre-death, Sam, is because you're picking up bodies that are only an hour or two old and they've not been refrigerated yet. The person's just deceased and they're still finding them riddled with these clots that they say there's no way that that clot could have formed in just the hour or two since the person passed. So, in fact, there's a, uh, one of the funeral home directors uh, that's in the Died Suddenly movie, she's also an embalmer. So some of the, like I said, they're in a dual role. They, they own the funeral home and they are the funeral director and they're also the embalmer. She's in that unique position so she can interact with the, the family of the deceased. And every time that she finds the white fibrous clot sand, She'll go and she'll ask the family, hey, did your uh, loved one take the medical intervention? And she says 100% of the time, Sam, without fail, 
the answer is yes. I know that's just anecdotal information, but it's, it's, it's shocking, right? Well, Tom, it's been great having you on. Again, this is, this is a, it's always a heavy conversation with you, and I wish uh, we could have met on better terms, but I'm so thankful that um, through this, this disaster that's hitting the world that people like you and I have been able to um, build friendships. And, and I am truly grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, everybody needs to understand that you may not be a doctor, you may not be a scientist, you do what you can in your area, and that will help the rest of the world. Amen to that, Sam, and right back at you. You're a hero of mine, I really admire you, because it took a lot of guts to do what you did. I, I was at the end of my career as a defense contractor, so I still have my retired Air Force Major's pay. I, had, I was one year away from getting Social Security early. My wife is 10 years younger and still works. So I could tell the Air Force when I was given the mandate that I was not going to take the jab. And I got fired from a $165,000 a year job, which I would have liked to have kept. I loved my job. It was fun. I was working in the F-16 SPO. We were upgrading jets for Singapore and South Korea. I got to travel to those countries, travel to Lockheed's uh, facility at Fort Worth, Texas, oversee the work that was being done there to modify test jets for those countries. So I, would, I loved my job but nothing's more important than your health. And I knew that once something got injected in my body, it could never be taken out again. So I made my stand, and I'm, I'm so glad that people like you have made a stand too. God bless you. Well, I'm just, I'm very blessed to be standing shoulder to shoulder uh, with men like you and, and, and many women out there also. And I'm just very thankful that I'm not standing alone. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Doesn't dinner sound great as it's cooking? This dinner is from Riverbend Ranch, which always provides prime or high choice, has never been given hormones, never been given antibiotics, never been given mRNA vaccines. It's raised in the USA. It's processed in the USA. In fact, it's fully vertically integrated, which means that they own the cow that gives birth to the calf. It's raised on their fields and then taken to their butcher and then ship to you. And if we compare what we can buy from Riverbend Ranch to four other major state companies that sell bundles that have ribeyes and other meat in it, it can be as much as $184 to $59 less expensive. It's a great price value and it's a delicious piece of meat. Check out mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. That's mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. Mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. <laughs>